Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back, Thanksgiving is in the books, our bellies are full and we have plenty of WWE action to go over with you today from the SmackDown immediately following Thanksgiving on Black Friday to this edition of Raw on Monday, which featured a couple returns uh, in the world of WWE that we will certainly talk about as this show unfolds. A little bit of a unique episode for you today, some extenuating circumstances here in the Getting Over universe. Our co-host, Vintage Chris Vanini, is not able to join us. Unfortunately, he has some uh, real-life work duties that are preventing him. That's okay, no problem. He will be back potentially later this week, but 1,000% next week. And the Silver King himself, I gotta say, uh, I'm a bit hobbled, I'm a bit wobbled here. A few things happened to me this week. Uh, First of all, I stepped on a rusty nail, which means your boy had to go get a tetanus shot. That was unique. I also pulled the muscle underneath my shoulder blade, uh, which is not exactly fun. And on top of all of that, uh, my real life work, the the thing that keeps me uh, employed and and financed on a day-to-day basis, allows me to live my life, um, has been extremely, extremely busy, the world of college football. So the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, as occasionally happens, had to take a backseat to what's actually going on in real life. We still got our episode out for you on Thursday, breaking down the latest in AEW and NXT, and we are back. On Tuesday, maybe a little bit later, a couple hours, uh, you know, publishing it a couple hours later than we normally do. We're still here to talk everything that happened in the world of WWE. So, look, the product this week, not that great, right? Uh, I saw people very much enjoyed SmackDown on Friday. I was not one of those. I personally believe SmackDown was pretty terrible, actually. Uh, Almost nothing redeeming about the entire episode. Raw... On Monday was once again the better show. I think that's probably three or four weeks in a row at this point where I've said that, but it was definitely a step down from the last couple of weeks. And the one thing that's really crushing me watching WWE recently, aside obviously from the releases and all the talent that is no longer there that we wanted to see that we thought would get pushed and would make the product exciting, it's the crowds. And it's more apparent on Raw than it is on SmackDown. It's a combined dual issue. One, the fake crowd noise being used by WWE. But two, the crowds themselves. I mean, if the crowds were doing a good job and getting loud while watching the product, maybe WWE would pipe in less noise or perhaps not use it at all, unless in certain circumstances where they want you to boo someone, they want you to cheer someone else. Now, that's not to say every WWE crowd is bad. I've said it on this show numerous times. When they hit a major city or when they just happen to hit that right crowd on a Monday or a Friday, even in a little bit of a smaller city, it's electric. And you still get that type of wrestling crowd that you want, but there's other occasions. And it's usually in circumstances where WWE forces the building full. They push to fill the building. And that was the case this Monday in Long Island, where the crowds are just completely dead. And the fake crowd noise is so obvious and so disappointing for a couple reasons. Uh, Number one, 
WWE uses it as a crutch. Instead of trying to actually pop the crowd, they manipulate it. But then, even when WWE does things or, or when things happen on WWE television that should pop the crowd, it's so dead from not being conditioned that it is such an important part of the show that it doesn't pop. And we saw that numerous times on Monday night where good things happened, but the crowd didn't respond to it the way it should, the way an NXT crowd should, and yes, the way an AEW crowd should, or the way a uh, WWE pay-per-view crowd would. So it's just disappointing when you're watching the product and you're saying, okay, yeah, this is not great, this sucks, whatever, but then, oh my God, that was awesome, and you're not getting the appropriate crowd response for it, and I think I just explained why. Now, Friday's SmackDown is in Los Angeles. It is supposed to be a big show. Brock Lesnar is going to be there. I don't have much doubt that that crowd is going to be awesome. It's going to be electric. But when you're in Long Island, New York, and you're not really selling tickets to the show, and I don't get into the ticket sales thing. People want to compare it to AEW being in the same venue uh, a week or two weeks later, and they've sold a couple thousand more tickets. Totally true. WWE also has run like four times as many shows in the New York area over the last two months that AEW has. They've done one. So, and that was in Queens versus Long Island. So, you know, you can't really compare. It's not apples to apples. It's one TV show in Raw that's been the B show, even though I personally think as of today, it's kind of creeping up on SmackDown, uh, but it's been the B show for the last two or three years versus a Dynamite that is the main show that AEW produces the first time they're going to be in that Long Island market. There are so many things that you cannot, they are not apples to apples comparisons, but it is still not lost on me, nor is it lost on other fans that AEW straight up is outselling WWE in the same building. And that is something that WWE needs to be concerned about. So look, we're going to get to the show. We have a lot to talk about. We have the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Plenty to get to. We're going to talk everything that happened in the world of WWE this week. But I did want that to be something that you guys chewed on uh, before we got into the episode. So with that, let us move, let us slide, as we always do, into the main event. So we will start with SmackDown, move over to Raw. Both shows had, you know, extended storylines, is the best way I can put it, that took place over the entire show. SmackDown opened up with Reigns, Roman Reigns. He was with Kayla Braxton. She was trying to interview him. Uh, but Paul Heyman tore her apart on the mic. Reigns basically said, hey, I've run through this whole roster, including Brock Lesnar and Big E. And this main event battle royal, it was called a Black Friday battle royal, for a number one contendership. This is pathetic because, hey, three people could win and I'll still beat all of them. Heyman later teased Kayla for not being a good journalist when reporting on Lesnar's suspension. Uh, he basically said, hey, you should be fired if you're not able to confirm this by the end of the night. It was a decent enough open, I guess, to the show, but it felt like much ado about nothing. There weren't any real stakes on SmackDown, at least for me. It wasn't really a captivating storyline. So we had Jeff Hardy and Drew McIntyre against Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss in a tag team match. With a distraction, Corbin countered Claymore into a deep six. Then Drew hit Moss with a Claymore and Hardy added a Swanton Bomb for the win in front of the hometown fans. I believe they were in North Carolina. It was a good spot for Hardy, uh, but there was really nothing to it, storyline otherwise. The best I can say here is there was nothing wrong with it. It was nice that the faces won. Uh, at some point during the match, Michael Cole said something that I just could not believe. I actually tweeted it out. He said that Madcap Moss has been nothing short of impressive since his debut on Friday Night SmackDown. The guy hasn't done shit. He's literally done nothing except laugh 
and make an ass of himself and not in a good way, in like a pathetic way. So he certainly hasn't been impressive, Michael. And I, I don't even know why you would effort to say something like that when it's simply not true. I don't think the guys want to match. I don't think he's like been the person to pin someone. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but ridiculous. Anyway, backstage, McIntyre told the authority he expected an invitation to be in the battle royal. Adam Pierce later told Kayla Lesnar's suspension is not lifted as far as he knows. And Sheamus also laughed that McIntyre did not make the cut for the match. I think they posted like a list backstage and his name wasn't on it. So we get the Black Friday Battle Royal. McIntyre comes down right after the bell rings with his sword, runs into the ring, swipes it in front of everyone, clears the ring out of anger. Then we come back from commercial break and he's gone. That's it. Like what good did that actually do? He didn't take a chair and sit down with the sword and kind of say, hey, come fight me. If you want me out of here, come take it from me. He just swung the sword and then left. And then you look at the match and it really showed how thin the SmackDown roster was because neither Drew nor King Woods nor Shinsuke Nakamura, who are arguably right now the top three baby faces on SmackDown, none of them were in the match. You could throw Jeff Hardy in there as well if you want. He was in the match, as was Cesaro and Ricochet. They were the only faces of value, I guess is the best way I can put it. Madcap Moss tried to eliminate Happy Corbin as a joke, but Corbin actually eliminated him and they both laughed. Then the final five were Hardy, Ricochet, Sheamus, Corbin, and Sami Zayn. And I thought the winner based on that was blatantly obvious. Uh, Ricochet was eliminated after a bro kick. WWE piped in Hardy chants and then the crowd actually chanted for him and you could easily tell the difference. Uh, Corbin threw Sheamus out and Hardy tossed Corbin over the ropes for what we thought was the win. The bell rang. And then as Hardy celebrated, Zayn... He came into the ring, tossed Hardy off the ropes, and got the actual win. The bloodline laughed as Sammy kind of celebrated in the ring. Kayla then went to interview Zayn when she got breaking news that Lesnar's suspension was indeed lifted and he would be on SmackDown next week. There was also a piped-in We Want Brock chant, which I don't think I've ever heard ever, so I think they made it up somehow. Good for them, I guess. It was weird. Uh, Reigns and the bloodline looked really upset at that news. So there's a lot to unpack here. McIntyre not being involved was absurd. Obviously, it's a purposeful storyline. But Adam Pierce now becoming a heel authority member, it just, it seems so completely unnecessary when Sonya Deville was already in that role. And I don't get why they are doing this now. It's just, it's extremely strange. If you want him to be like counter to Brock, that's one thing. But to be counter to all the faces on both rosters is extremely strange. Now, one bit of bit of credit that I will give them is that I expected Hardy to win once I saw the final five, and I was worried that they were going to pull the trigger on that too soon. So Zayn winning, yes, that was a nice surprise, but it does feel strange that Woods, who kind of got screwed out of his match, not kind of, definitely got screwed out of his match with Reigns, he's been completely forgotten, he doesn't have a title opportunity, and Zayn, I can't imagine them putting that on day one, building four weeks to a heel versus heel, Zayn versus Roman match. So that makes me think that Zayn's going to get his match soon. They're going to end up rushing Hardy for day one because he got a decent response at Survivor Series and not actually build a feud between him and Reigns. Now look, again, Zayn, that's a fun swerve, especially after he got screwed by Vince McMahon a couple nights earlier. He found the egg, he didn't get the title match, that whole deal but I just don't believe it's going to go anywhere. I mean, the bloodline laughed at him when he became number one contender. Also, forget like the storyline from him. The battle royal sucked. It was a really bad match. 
Nothing about it was exciting, and it was the same predictable finish that WWE always uses. Now, as far as the Lesnar storyline goes, WWE already announced that Lesnar was going to buy a ticket and be at the Staples Center next week. So his suspension ending isn't really a meaty storyline in any way. I don't see why WWE would do this and bring him back the first week of December, unless it's specifically because they're in Los Angeles. If they're planning a major match for either the Royal Rumble or my expectation, WrestleMania, it overshadowed Zayn's win, it made him a complete afterthought, and it wasn't even an exciting subplot to the entire show. So really, there just wasn't much relevance to me, and because that was the main thread throughout the entire episode, I didn't really buy into it. I didn't think it was a good episode of SmackDown. Now, over on Raw, we had a similar storyline that lasted throughout the show. This one was more interesting, but it was also extremely predictable. So the show started with Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor. Rollins opened Raw, said he had a secret, breaking news. He would be in the WWE Championship match against Big E at the day one pay-per-view. He says next title reign was going to define WWE and the business and his career and all that type of stuff. Balor then attacked Rollins before the bell in a mirror to what Rollins did to him last week. So obviously that made a lot of sense. He had some sling blades, put the steel steps in his face, the whole deal. This time the match though actually happened. Rollins avoided a coup de grace three times. He had a superplex into a falcon arrow, got that for a near fall. Balor countered a frog splash with double knees and a package for a near fall. Rollins eventually poked Balor in the eye, hitting a rolling elbow and a stomp for the win. Now you knew the moment that Rollins announced his title match that he was going to win this. They're not going to have the guy announce a number one contendership and then lose to Balor. Telegraphing shit like that is so unnecessary when they could have opened the show with the match, which would have been a hot start, had Rollins win, and then announce after that, hey, I'm the number one contender for the WWE title, as you guys already know, and I'm gonna, I decided I want my match at the pay-per-view. The wrestling was great here. It sucks that Balor keeps losing. In fact, you can make an argument a better story would have been Balor beating Rollins and getting added to that match, making it a triple threat or a fatal four-way. But it was a highly competitive banger. The wrestling, like I said, was very good. Four stars, A-minus match, and it deserved a much better crowd reaction than it got. So a few moments later, Kevin Owens backstage tells Rollins, Pierce told him, hey, KO, you're going to get added to the WWE title match if you beat Big E in the main event. They had a fun back and forth with Rollins calling him a liar. So Rollins went to check with Pierce to see if it was true. Pierce confirmed, hey, Owens is lying. We haven't even spoken to each other tonight. Sonya Deville came in and she asked what was up. Pierce told her what KO said. And she's like, hey, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Rollins teased KO later for lying. Rollins, uh, Owens said, no, I'm not lying. I'm, I'm telling you the truth, man. Uh, Rollins went back to the authority and Pierce said, hey, I changed my mind. Uh, Sonya liked the idea and it does make sense. It's exciting. So sure. Now, a title opportunity is on the line in the main event. Rollins just couldn't wrap his mind around that decision or KO telling the truth. It was well done to add intrigue to the main event and to kind of keep the storyline going. But again, Owens doesn't really deserve the opportunity. And given Pierce basically said, no, this isn't true, him just kind of going back on it and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that sounds good. Let's actually do that. I mean, I guess Owens backed his way into it. That's the storyline that they're telling. But again, it, it was telegraphing the entire show. So we finally get to the main event and it's Big E against Kevin Owens. And before the match, Big E had a really funny backstage promo. 
Rollins cheered for Biggie on commentary, got his face smacked by KO, but he held himself back. He's like, I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to get the DQ and allow this guy to get into the match. There were a few near falls in the match with Rollins getting nervous after a pop-up powerbomb. The action was good. It wasn't great. The crowd sat on its hands until KO attacked Rollins outside for a second time. Rollins then idiotically attacked KO for the DQ, although they made it so that Owens' attack was so drastic that it made sense that Rollins wanted retribution in the moment. Like, Owens really goaded him into interfering and causing the DQ. But again, the Rollins character is supposed to be smart and conniving, and he still interfered and gave him the opportunity. Then Rollins hit Biggie with a super kick and a stomp, and Mike Rome announced over the PA that KOs won the match and he would be in the Biggie triple threat with Rollins at day one. This to me was just a letdown, the whole thing. Uh, we'll talk about it later, but the whole show, Vince McMahon talked about expecting the unexpected. And then in the main event, the expected is exactly what happened. The unexpected would have been Biggie pinning KO clean or Rollins helping Biggie beat KO, tripping him up. Biggie hits the big ending, KO's out, doesn't get the title match. He's pissed off. You know, maybe he demands a title match with Biggie down the line or he demands to fight Rollins next week for a shot to get in the match. Anything else would have been unexpected. The most expected thing was exactly what happened here. And it was basic, repetitive, annoying WWE storytelling. The same stuff we always get. It made the whole show feel like a waste of time because we knew what the booking was, you know, the whole time we were watching over the three-hour show. And now the pay-per-view is four weeks away. So there's not even a build left to do for this match at the pay-per-view. There's hey, you know, Biggie wants to fight Rollins, but he's not sure if he wants to cash in his championship opportunity at the show. KO keeps trying to get involved. Rollins and Biggie, you know, keep trying to keep him out of it. Maybe Biggie and Finn Balor team up against Rollins and KO. And Ballard works his way into the mix. There are so many other things you can do over the next two or three weeks. And instead, now we have a championship match set. And I'm assuming they did it to sell tickets. And it's an exciting match. Don't get me wrong. But they have nothing to do now over the next four weeks. And I just think that's crazy. And it's starting to feel to me on top of that, like they are going to have Rollins beat Owens as an excuse to take the title off Big E without him losing. Raw has been much improved recently. I, I keep saying it on this show. It really is much better than it was a couple months ago. And it's been much better than SmackDown the last couple of weeks. But in order for the TV show each week to be good, the main event storyline has to be a winner. It has to be successful. And this just felt to me like a loser due to an overall lack of creativity. Again, that doesn't mean the matches were bad, the work, the promos, all that stuff was actually good. The guys, the people involved in it did a good job. It just, the storyline feels like a loser. It's not really creative. It feels like KO and Rollins are feuding and Big E, the champion, is an afterthought in the entire thing. Now, if Big E goes into day one and winds up beating both of these guys. He pins Owens, wins the match, retains his title, and comes out strong. I'll stand corrected in terms of that, and I'll be very happy with that development. And I certainly hope that that's what happens, and I think there's a good possibility it does. It just, it feels to me like they're going with Rollins here, and it's tough to believe that Big E just simply beating two of the top contenders on the show in one match is going to be the booking. It really feels like they're all in on Rollins. So, that's really the main event. That's the main storylines that happened on SmackDown and Raw. And coming up, we do have the good, the bad, 
and the ugly. But first, I must remind you that promotional consideration for this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by DaVinci, makers of the world's most advanced vaporizers. DaVinci creates a -a one-of-a-kind vaporizing experience combining thoughtful design, meticulous engineering, and innovative technology. The DaVinci IQC Vaporizer works with both dry herbs and extracts. It features clean first technology, advanced temperature control, and a replaceable battery to provide one-of-a-kind experience for its users. And just for you, our Getting Over listeners, DaVinci is offering 10% off any purchase of $50 or more through their website, davincivaporizer.com. Simply visit davincivaporizer.com, that's D-A-V-I-N-C-I, vaporizer.com, add products to your cart, and enter the promo code DAVINCIGO, D-A-V-I-N-C-I-G-O. Whether you're spoiling yourself or looking for the perfect holiday gift, the DaVinci IQC Vaporizer is an incredible option. Again, just visit davincivaporizer.com, enter promo code DAVINCIGO for 10% off any purchase of $50 or more now through December 31st, 2021. And with that, folks, let's move on to the second part of our show, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we're going to go back and forth, SmackDown Raw, just going by what I think is the most important stuff on each show. And, and as usual, the more important things on the show tended to be good and the lesser important things tended to be bad. So let's kind of go through what happened and we'll break it down. Uh, over on Raw, Edge made his return. He got a huge ovation from the crowd. He said his feud with Rollins is over and he actually gave Rollins a lot of credit for operating at another level, deserving to be the number one contender. Then he focused all his energy on naming a bunch of people who he wants to face, AJ Styles and Finn Balor. He just ran through the entire roster and it was a pretty impressive list, I have to say. And just as he got to the end of it, suddenly the Miz's music hit and Miz returns with Maurice. They get into the ring, they're angry that Edge got this big comeback announcement. He named a bunch of people. He named everyone except for the Miz, except the Miz has actually been there every week usually, you know, except for now, recently he's been on Dancing with the Stars and they didn't do anything for him. They knew he was coming back, they didn't care. Edge took shots at Dancing with the Stars and Miz blamed the WWE fans for not voting for him. They went back and forth and Edge eventually said he is gonna give Miz the praise he wants. So Edge went over all of Miz's successes throughout his career and said people on other shows, meaning AEW, say his name just to get cheap reactions. That was a great line and a great reference to the MJF and CM Punk segment um, this past Wednesday. Then he said Miz uses WWE as a stepping stone while people he cares about, John Morrison is what he was referring to, get fired. It got heated and then Miz and Marie stepped out. So look, this was good. It was a good segment, okay? Uh, two of WWE's best guys on the stick going back and forth. But it wasn't great. It really did pale in comparison to the MJF CM Punk uh, promo segment, which you know it's inevitably going to get compared to because it was very similar. The AEW line, it was good. It was appropriate. They didn't say AEW. They didn't say the character names. They just referenced something that the other company brought to light. But as you're going to hear in a second here, twice on one episode of Raw, they used WWE firings as part of promos, as part of storylines. And man, that really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, 
That doesn't make the segment bad because the segment was really good. But when I saw WWE was going in this direction with Miz and Edge, I just thought it was going to be better than it was. So it wasn't great. I thought it could have been great, but it was good. So this was a good, but I got to say, man, like referring to firing John Morrison, even though you're not saying his name, in a moment, we're going to talk to about referring to firing women's wrestlers, namely the Riot Squad members. I mean, the crowd didn't even pop for the reference because why would you? You're not going to be happy that they're referencing firing human beings. So I don't get why they did it. Um, I don't know if they think they're breaking the fourth wall and the crowd's going to appreciate that. We as fans don't like that you fired 80 people in 11 months. That's not a positive thing. And using it to take a shot in promo segments, faces using it to take shots at heels in two promo segments on one show. I mean, that's just bad. It's bad writing. It's bad decision-making for WWE to do that, whether it's scripted or not scripted. I, I just don't get it. But yes, overall, you know, the segment was good. It was entertaining. Uh, the Raw Women's Champion contract signing was also on the show. Sonya Deville presided. Becky Lynch congratulated Liv Morgan on her first contract signing and a good right hand that she gave her last week when they brawled. And she said, Liv always holds herself back and just won't prove her wrong. She'll never actually live up to it. Becky healed it up with the crowd. Liv shut her up, signed the contract for a match next week and played footage of Becky crying that we talked about on the show. We, we aired it last week uh, of Becky crying after the Charlotte match. Liv said Becky's big contract is why her friends are no longer part of WWE, insinuating that the money they needed to pay Becky is the reason they fired Ruby Riot, basically, which like, again, I just can't believe they did that. And that Lynch is treating Liv like Charlotte used to treat Lynch. And how does she not recognize that? That part I thought was really good and really smart. They almost fought. Becky said some people deserve to get paid like her. And she dared Liv to show that she can actually lead the women's division in a five on five women's tag team match later in the show. So look, Liv hasn't really gotten many chances like this on the mic. She'll do a promo here and there, an extended segment where she gets to go back and forth with the greatest women's promo giver, um, her speaker, whatever you want to call it, uh, maybe ever. That's a really big spot for her. This was probably the best she's ever done. Like she's not top tier like Becky, but I think she's completely on par with someone like Sasha Banks. Like you have Becky and you have Bailey and maybe Charlotte Flair and a couple others who are in that top tier. Britt Baker over in AEW is up there as well. And then you have like tier two and then tier three is people that really can't cut a promo. And I think Liv is in that tier two. Maybe she's at the bottom of it or the mid middle part of it, but she was good enough in this segment. And this absolutely succeeded in adding some heat to their match. And while I wish it was at day one instead of on Raw, I get why they aren't waiting that long. The question is, who does Becky face at day one? Is it a rematch with Liv? Is it because there's a screw job or something like that next week? Does another contender step in? Does it end up being Bianca Belair again? And they just go right back to it. Hopefully not. We'll, we'll worry about that when the time comes. As of right now, this booking, this segment, the promos here, with the exception of the one line I mentioned, we're all good. So we got that match. It was Liv, Bianca Belair, Super Brutality, and Dana Brooke against Becky. I think they're calling themselves Royal Beauty, uh, Dewdrop, and Tamina. Carmella sold a facial injury on a clothesline from Rhea Ripley. They all exchanged finishers and signatures. Brooke got thrown off the top rope and into a ton of faces. And Liv got the final sequence. She was by herself, basically, as a face. 
taking out Mella Queen Zelina, knocking Becky off the ropes, and beating Tamina with Oblivion in a 20-minute women's match. All the heels attacked, Liv stood tall at the end, she countered the manhandle slam, came back, hit Becky with Oblivion to end the segment. This wasn't the best match, but man, they got 20 minutes, most everyone got to do their thing. The most important thing of, of it all was Liv being featured. And there were three different spots during the match where she was able to look strong, including the finish and the post-match. The match also continued feuds between faces and heels across across both sides. Two different feuds were able to continue. It was a very successful and very lengthy women's segment. I appreciated what they did. It was definitely good. Uh, Charlotte Flair over on SmackDown was in the ring with Michael Cole saying the referee screwed her and Becky got lucky at Survivor Series. Tony Storm came out. She said, hey, Charlotte, your obsession with Becky, it makes you vulnerable and it's the reason you lost at the pay-per-view. Storm stood up to Flair who said she would embarrass her. Storm threw her out of the ring and outside the ring, there was like a Thanksgiving table with all the food. You know, Vince McMahon always loves having that. So Flair eggs her on, gets kind of in a, a shoving match with her and puts a pie in her face. And then she comes back and yells at her and puts another pie in her face. What are we doing here? How does this help either of them? I mean, Charlotte Flair had issues, apparently, in reality, with the Becky Lynch title exchange, and she just went ahead and did this? Is it because she got to look good and Tony Storm got to look like absolute shit? Tony hasn't done anything on the main roster. She finally has something to chew on, a feud with Charlotte. And she's not only taking one pie in the face, which you can kind of explain. She gets pied in the face, gets angry, beats the shit out of Charlotte. I'll buy that, okay? But she takes a pie and then is standing there like wiping it off of her and Charlotte grabs another and does it again. She looked absolutely pathetic standing there. How the hell could they have booked this? In what world does it make sense to book a number one contender getting two pies in the face? Zero point. Zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. This was ugly. U-G-L-Y. Ugly. Sasha Banks confronted Sonya Deville, saying Sonya set the Survivor Series team up for failure by not letting her pick, and she would have put Naomi on the team. Sasha said Sonya was jealous, so Deville had a good line about she's actually the boss. Uh, she wears a suit, and she sent a match. Uh, this established Sasha as a face. That's really all it accomplished, but it did kind of say, hey, Sasha's on the face shot side. She's no longer in that tweener role. So we had Sasha and Naomi against Shayna Baszler and Natalia. Sonya was on commentary, kind of tamping down all those claims of bias against Naomi. Banks at Baszler with a Meteora into the barricade, and Natalia got a Mishinoku driver on Naomi for a near fall. Naomi then flipped over the ropes to catch Natalia with a sunset flip uh, and did a pinning combination with it for the win in about 10 minutes. And then she stared down Sonya afterwards at ringside. So there's two separate things here, the match and the story. The match was incredibly sloppy, start to finish. Naomi looked all out of sorts. Maybe she has ring rust from really not working that much. I'm not exactly sure, but she's not the smoothest wrestler anyway. She's still better than she was in this match. Normally, she's better than she was in this match. The basics though, the women getting time, Naomi getting a win, the storyline with Sasha standing up for Naomi, having her back, and Sonya and Naomi that continuing, that's all good, but this thing was rough. I just hope Naomi and Sonia happens like day one or at some point soon. We gotta end this. It's a good, it started out as a really good storyline and it's just kind of fallen off a cliff. But 
For this segment, I will stick with Goodyear. Now, moving back to Raw, we did have a couple of title matches. The Raw Tag Team titles, RK-Bro against the Dirty Dogs. This satisfied the number one contendership that they won for a second time. Uh, Riddle told Orton backstage he was disappointed Randy wasn't dressed like Riddle. Uh, Orton snapped and told Riddle they need to be ruthless if they really want to retain the titles. Riddle then put a wig on his head, uh, his being Orton's head, and Randy looked in the mirror at it, and then they took it off right away. Riddle got loud chance. They tried stereo RKOs, but got countered. Dolph Ziggler hit a zigzag for a great near fall on Orton. Uh, Orton and Ziggler finally had a really good sequence at the end of the match that ended in an RKO, and the crowd went wild. I always say this on this show. It surprises me each and every time how damn over Randy Orton is. The one thing that this crowd went nuts for on the whole show, not only RK Bro, but Randy Orton individually. People just absolutely love him. And it was way before RK Bro became a team. They just, they happened to really like Randy. Fun match. I gave it 3.5 stars and a B. Really just good work top to bottom. We also had a United States Championship match, Damian Priest against Apollo Crews. So Crews turned down the match last week, but he got one this week because reasons? Because he was a former Intercontinental Champion? Uh, Okay, so they had the match. Uh, There was some good stuff here until Priest did a cannonball outside and he legitimately almost snapped his neck. It was really scary. Luckily, he was okay. Commander Aziz pulled Priest off the ropes and got ejected by the referee. Priest became Damien because he got pulled off the ropes. Chokeslammed Cruz from the ring apron over the ropes into the ring in a really cool spot. Then he hit the reckoning for the win to retain the title. Look, the Priest into Damien thing, it is really gimmicky. I'm glad they're not like having him go crazy and put like contacts in his eyes or make noise and scream and make a whole circus out of it. But it's a little still too gimmicky for me. There was really nothing wrong though with the segment. The match was solid. It got a good amount of time and Priest is still going over. Again, undefeated in singles matches on the main roster. Pretty damn cool. I will say this was good. AJ Styles with Omos was asked why the Street Profits used the fire extinguisher on him last week. He just talked about smoke and them being all about the smoke, all that type of stuff. Styles wore sunglasses because he's blinded and said his vision may never be 100% again. Obviously, we could see where this was going. He kept looking around, wandering off, almost had to catch him. It was pretty funny. Uh, Styles, though, also is a very good crybaby heel. So you can really give him anything like this, and it's ultimately going to work. So then we got Street Profits versus Alpha Academy. Corey Graves gave play-by-play to Styles, who was sitting next to him during the match. That was very, very fun. Uh, Montez Ford went to finish Gable. When Styles could miraculously see, he jumped up to the ring apron and halted him. But Ford kicked Styles off the apron, hit a great frog splash on Gable, and got the win. Entertaining stuff here. Again, really just want Alpha Academy and Gable to get some victories and real opportunities. But Street Profits and Styles and Omas, they are more featured players. So I didn't necessarily expect them to win in this point. This was good though. There was also a storyline that carried throughout Raw with Vince McMahon and Austin Theory. They met early in the show and stayed together throughout the entire three hours. Uh, McMahon was there. He brought Theory in. Theory asked how he was doing. Vince said he has IBS, which was very random for him to say that. Then he told Theory they would watch the show together and see what surprises happen. But if he ever steals from him again, Vince will kill him. Later, Theory told McMahon he liked what Styles did. I mentioned it earlier. But Vince said it was horrible because it was obvious. They knew it was going to happen. He kept telling Theory that you have to expect the unexpected and to look at him while he was talking to him. McMahon asked Theory what he learned at the end of the show, and he repeated all of Vince's lessons that I just mentioned. And then Vince slapped him across the face, saying he still had a lot to learn. This whole thing worked for me. 
Like you can talk all you want about Vince and the condition he's in and not being as spry and energetic, you know, and, and um, exciting, I guess, as he used to be. But it is notable whenever Vince McMahon is on TV and you could hear him much better here and working with Austin Theory, it's really cool that it's happening. Uh, McMahon kind of taking Theory under his wing, grooming him into perhaps his ideal John Cena slash Randy Orton type of character. I could see a storyline there where they're taking this 24-year-old dude. And by the way, it's super cool that the youngest guy on the roster, him and Dominic are both the same age, is working directly on Raw, national television, with Vince McMahon, one of the two or three greatest wrestling characters in the last 25 years. And Austin Theory gets to work with him. All of that is really cool. It's an interesting way also to get Vince on TV without him consuming the entire show. Like at any point, Rollins could have run in there or Owens or Big E. Is this true? Are you really gonna let Adam Pierce do this? They didn't do that. They kept it completely separate. They gave Vince this separate mid-card, low-card storyline ongoing with Austin Theory, where I feel like, like next week he's gonna put him in a match against someone really good and Austin's gonna lose. And he'll come in there and Vince is gonna admonish him and give him a bunch of shit and kind of teach him and help him along the way. And maybe he gets title opportunities early, a little bit earlier than he should. Like, there's a lot of really, really good potential here. Now, are they going to hit? Are they going to hit a home run on it? You know, I don't know. You know, it, that remains to be seen. But it is an interesting storyline. And it's something that I really personally like for Theory, who I believe in and thinks, I really think he has a legitimate shot to be a star in WWE. So this was good, but we do need to see where it goes from here. And then wrapping up with a couple SmackDown things. Oh, there is one more Raw left, but okay, let's get anyway through it. Cesaro had a match against Ridge Holland. Sheamus was on commentary. Holland did a couple strong moves. Cesaro caught him in a pinning combination for a one, two, three in three minutes. So this wasn't long enough to get Ridge over. It wasn't long enough to accomplish anything for Cesaro beating a talented newcomer. It's bad. It was just a waste of time to push this forward instead of having a real eight, 10 minute match between these guys where someone has some success. It just felt completely unnecessary. Also on SmackDown, we had Rick Boogs versus Angel Garza. Boogs hit a double gut wrench powerbomb for a near fall. He tried an abdominal stretch when Umberto Creo started playing his guitar atop a table. And then Shinsuke Nakamura kicked Umberto's leg out from under him and he went right through the table. Uh, but Angel hit the wing clipper on Boogs and got the win. So this went exactly the opposite of my expectation. Trust me. I love that Garza got a singles win. That's really cool. But it was strange to have Boogs lose. And I have no idea why this feud is happening when Nakamura is the intercontinental champion and does not have a number one contender. This is just bad. It's bad booking. It doesn't make sense. Why does this guy have the title if you're not using it in a title feud? And it's been going on. Like, this is a long storyline. It's at least three weeks now. This shit should have been over after Survivor Series. I will say... The Nakamura Kurio spot was absolutely perfect. It was my favorite thing that happened across the entire episode of SmackDown. It looked super cool. And by the way, we talked recently about Angel and Umberto both losing their last names. Well, that's not the case. Umberto was somehow able to keep Kurio, but Angel was not able to keep Garza. Now tell me how that makes a shred of sense. You don't have to. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Ray and Dominic Mysterio on Raw fought Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. There was a double 619 with Dominic hitting a frog splash on Alexander for the win in a couple of minutes. I gotta say, the reformation of the Hurt Business 
has been the weirdest thing. Since they helped Lashley a few weeks ago when he needed their help, they have not been seen together. Lashley and the guys, the guys and MVP, any combination of them have not been seen together, not backstage, not in the ring, nothing. And they have no strength or momentum because of it. So they took the Hurt Business, which was hot, and fans liked it, and they were really excited about it. They broke it up, and they did it to give Lashley a really strong one-man title run. Okay, that actually theoretically worked, even though it buried the other guys. But then they put it back together for storyline reasons in that moment. They're still together, but they don't do anything together. That's just, it's nonsensical. This match, as far as the match goes, it was fine. It was like three minutes long. We really can't think of a better way, by the way, to use Rey Mysterio, former world champion, who can still go in the ring, than just to do this. We can't have him feud with Damian Priest. You know, we can't get him uh, and Dominic in a tag team title feud again, or at least, you know, putting over Alpha Academy, giving them an opportunity to do something. We're using him against the Hurt Business. Uh, it was just very strange. This was bad, by the way. Uh, there was another Zia Lee comic book vignette on SmackDown about her standing up to a skull bully. It was kind of like Street Fighter style. Uh, I thought that was really cool once again. As I said last week, none of it matters until we see her debut and see if it lasts. But for now, it was good. Also, three weeks in a row, they aired the same Veer Mahan video on Raw. By the way, we have Jinder Mahal and this guy Veer Mahan. They couldn't just come up with a slightly different last name, like so strange, but it was the same video. And then also on Raw, there was a really impressive Bobby Lashley video package. It recapped his whole life, his career, a ton of old footage of WWE, amateur wrestling, the army. I have no idea whatsoever why they did it. Maybe it's part of a face turn, but it was extremely well done and also good. So look, like I said, it was a really mixed bag in WWE this week. Even the good things had kind of twinges of negativity to them. It was a holiday week and sometimes WWE does kind of take its foot off the gas. If you can say their foot is ever on the gas uh, during a holiday week, they don't necessarily put their best foot forward maybe is the best way I can put it. So if we want to chalk it up to that, I guess maybe we can. Obviously, with Brock Lesnar coming back Friday on SmackDown, the expectation is that business picks up there. Raw, it seems, is full speed ahead towards day one. We know the main event storyline. Can they capitalize on what they did Monday and kind of figure out a way to move it forward and make it a little bit better? I certainly hope they do, but I don't know. Um, I was just kind of dismayed by what we got across WWE this week. And this is after a couple of weeks where I really fully bought into Raw, like from start to finish with the exception of a couple segments. I just thought it was definitely a step down. So really, that's it. That's it from this week in WWE. Now, bear with me because I just realized that in the open of the show, I forgot to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast... Booker T coming in a little bit early there. But folks, please don't let that dismay you. Please do not forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Cristanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show. Write out a review. Tell people why you love the show, our characters, the instant analysis, whatever you like about getting over. Please, please make sure to add it there. Hit that five-star button. Those reviews are extremely, extremely important. And like I said, when you guys do leave new five-star reviews, we will read them here on the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter 
at getting over cast. So that is it for today. Vintage Chris Vanini will be back for the WWE show next week. His status for the Thursday AEW and NXT show is TBD right now, but we certainly hope to have him on for that. Silver is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>